Thank you, Kim. Appreciate that. God is good. In the difficulties of life, we can turn to Him and know that He will hear our prayers and deliver us from various things that harass and challenge us in life. God is good. As I continue to read through the Bible, there's two words that I love that stand out to me all the time, and those two words are, I will. I constantly read through Scripture. When I hear God say, I will, I'm encouraged because He's going to do something great. And I started out a series during camp meeting called Restore 10, going through the commandments of God in the first commandment. I looked at a story in the book of Exodus, chapter 6. And in that story, as God's speaking to Moses seven times, and I encourage you to go back and read it, chapter 6 in Exodus, seven times God uses the word, I will. And it's as if he was, he was giving them a, an overview of their whole journey from delivering them from darkness into the marvelous light and taking them all the way to the promised land. And it's something he's saying to you and I as well today, I will. He says, I will bring you out from under their burdens. I will rid you out of their bondage. I will redeem you with a stretched out arm. I will take you to me as a people. I will be your God. I will bring you into the land and I will give it to you for a heritage. When I read that, and I had read it several times before it really dawned on me, praise the Lord, God is going to see me through, amen? He's going to take us all the way on this journey. We can be encouraged as we continue to look to Jesus and trust in the great I am that he will work in us to will and do of his good pleasure. I'd invite you to bow your heads with me as I kneel and ask for God's blessing. Loving Father, thank you for this opportunity to stand here today. And Lord, there's people here online watching, people that will tune in later. And we've come because we want to hear your voice and not mine. We've come because we want to hear a message from you that will be life-changing for us because we don't want to leave as we've come. And so I ask, Father, you'll pour out your spirit, that you'll hide me behind the cross, and that Christ will be lifted up, and that you'll put your finger on the things in our lives that need to change so that we can see you face to face one day. In Jesus' name I ask, Father, and I thank you for hearing me. Amen. I titled today's topic, What's in a Name? When I go shopping for tools, I look at the name brand. I don't look at the price. I'm not concerned so much about the price, even though it does matter, but I'm concerned about the quality of the tool and who made it. If it's a tool, a, a name brand that I've bought before and it's failed me, well, I'm not gonna buy that tool again, no matter how good the price is. But if it's a tool I have purchased and the name brand I have in, been, that's worked for me very well, then I will buy it again. So there's different name brands out there. There's the Milwaukee, and there's the Porta Cable, and there's the DeWalt, and there's, there's the Craftsman. And you'll talk to different builders, and they have their favorite brand, what works for them. They really like that. There's some like uh, Craftsman, Snap-on. Some of these uh, companies, they stand behind their, their tools with lifelong warranties, 
because they know they've made a good product. Companies and people go to great lengths to build and protect their reputation. They seek to live up to all that they claim to be. They take very careful uh, watch care over their products. And when people think about them, they want people to have good things to say. And so, whatever comes up in a conversation, they hope it's positive. When the patriarchs of old would name their children, they would attach a meaning to that name. They just didn't pick names randomly. They would think about the name, the meaning that would be attached to that name so that when somebody called out that name, something would come to their mind, such as Daniel. When you say Daniel, the parents wanted you to understand that God is my judge. When you would say Hananiah, they'd want you to understand that Yahweh is gracious. When they'd say, Michelle, who is like God? They wanted their parent, the parents want you to understand, look, when you say my son's name, I want you to understand who is like my God. When they say Azariah, they want you to understand that Yah has helped. That Yah has helped. God is there to help. Now, my parents weren't thinking about that when they named me because they named me Dennis. And when you think of Dennis, there's another name that you think of, right? What is it? <laughs> Everybody says in unity, menace. Unfortunately, that was who I was for a very long time in my life until God delivered me from that life. And some may still consider me a menace today. However, may the message be clear and Christ be seen. When God declared his name to Moses in the mountain, it wasn't about just giving a title. He wanted the people to know who he was, what his character was like. So he would declare to Moses in uh, Exodus chapter 34, 6 and 7, that the Lord God is merciful. He's gracious. He's long-suffering. He's abundant in goodness and truth, and he's forgiving and he's just. Moses was sent to declare to the children of Israel that God would live up to all that he claimed himself to be, that he'd be faithful to every one of these attributes. So today, people take names or receive names at different, for different occasions. So in, in your mind, what would be one of the times or a couple of the times that somebody would willfully or legally take somebody else's name? Marriage, right? When you're married, you take that person's name. Your vows are exchanged, commitments are made, you come together under one name. What about adoption? When you're adopted, right? Legal papers are signed, you take on the name, you become part of a new family. What's another instance where you may take somebody's name? Identity theft, okay. <laughs> a bad one, she says. That's right. But what about baptism? Yes, right. When we enter into that baptismal tank, we're taking on and professing to be a Christian. We're claiming 
that we are going to walk with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and we're going to turn our back on the world, and we take on the name Christian. Where was it that the disciples were first named Christian? Antioch. Can you imagine being one of the disciples back then, and then somebody coming up to you and say, you're, you're, you're a Christian. You'd probably look at him and say, what are you talking about? What do you mean? Well, you're just like that, that one you follow, Christ, that Christ guy. Yeah. Isn't that something to be proud of? Praise the Lord. I want to be identified to be like Christ. I invite you to open your Bibles with me to Joshua chapter 9. Joshua chapter 9. Character traits are to stand out in the name. The Gibeonites, they were very crafty in how they disguised themselves as their neighbors. Actually, they were very close to where the nation of Israel were then going to uh, attack next. And so they disguised themselves and they, they pulled a, a quick one over on Joshua and the princes of Israel. And I want to look at verses 15. I'm going to come back over here to 15. As you heard in the scripture reading, how they had done that with the way they uh, dressed up their shoes and their clothes and their old garments, put on old garments, and they brought moldy bread. But it was very convincing to Joshua. And so in verse 15, Joshua says, Joshua made peace with them and made a league with them to let them live, and the princes of the congregation swear unto them. A few days later, they would find out that these people were of the very nations they were called to go out and conquer. But they kept their word. They stayed fast to the covenant they made. Verse 18 says, And the children of Israel smote them not, because the princes of the congregation had swore unto them by the Lord God of Israel. And all the congregation murmured against the princes, but all the princes said unto the congregation, We have sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel. Now therefore, we may not touch them. They understood what that third commandment meant that we shall not take the name of the Lord God in vain because God will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. They understood that that not only meant taking God's name in a very careless and light manner, but it meant to be, to be steadfast in the oath that you had made, not to swear falsely or to go back on a promise that you had given. And so the Israelites were called to be people of integrity. They were sent forth in the land of Canaan to be a, a beacon of light to the nations around them. And if any of those nations wanted to surrender their idolatry and give it up and join them, provision was made. And you can read about that in Leviticus chapter 19. So they were seeking to be people and men of integrity. And as long as they did so, God would bless them as a nation. What does integrity mean to you? What does integrity mean to you? I'm going to read a, 
uh, a definition of it. It comes from definitions of Oxford languages, integrity. The quality of being honest and having strong moral principles. Strong what? Moral principles. Moral uprightness, the state of being whole and undivided. And then they added a word, incorruptibility. Incorruptibility. Now, integrity is not something that we develop overnight. It's something that's developed throughout our life as we grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. But we're to grow, and that's what God calls us to do. From our earliest years, it is necessary that we weave into our character principles of stern integrity that we may reach the high standard of manhood and womanhood that God would have us be. Now, when I think of Joshua and the princes, that's a nice illustration given to us about not taking God's name in vain and being people of integrity. But when I look at different individuals in the Bible, one individual stands out to me above all the rest, and that's Joseph. When I look at Joseph's life, I see a young man who was taught from his youth up. He had his faults, but he was willing to grow. He had his shortcomings, but yet he was determined and resolved in his heart that he was going to serve the Lord. And I want to encourage you when you get time, read Patriarchs and Prophets, the chapter on Joseph going down to Egypt, and look at some of the illustrations that are there that could be a blessing for you. I'll share a few of them today, but I won't exhaust the chapter. You know, when he was traveling, when he was sold into slavery there and he's on his way down to Egypt, what would you be thinking about? If you were Joseph, what would be coming to your mind? You'd be, hopefully, you'd be thinking about the stories your father Jacob had told you. You'd be gathering strength and encouragement from how he has spoken, how God had led in his life, how God had provided for him, how God was there, how angels were sent to comfort, to strengthen, and protect, how God had told him a Redeemer was coming and that that's who he is to live for because that's who bought and paid for him or would come and buy and pay for his, his life on the cross one day. Parents, I want to encourage you to share your testimony with your children. It's important that we, we share our testimonies with our children and let them know about the God of heaven, the God that is gracious, the God that is merciful, the God that is forgiving, the one that does not give up, who, who pours out a love upon us that will not let us go, a God that will counsel, correct, and redirect our path if we'll let him. Our children need this encouragement today in the world in which we live, that they too may resolve in their heart and prove themselves true in serving the God of heaven as Joseph had done. I'm going to read a quote here from Patriarchs and Prophets, page 214. As he enters into that land of Egypt, and he is surrounded with various vices and temptations, it says here, he was, he was here exposed to temptations of no ordinary character. He was in the midst of idolatry 
and worship, the worship of false gods was surrounded by all the pomp of royalty supported by the wealth and culture of the most highly civilized nation then in existence. Think about where we are in the United States, how people of the world may look at this country, maybe one of the most highly civilized nations in the world. But how much idolatry is here. Yet Joseph preserved his simplicity and his fidelity to God. Listen, he says, she says here, the sights and sounds of vice were all about him, but he was one, but he was as one who saw and heard not. His thoughts were not permitted to linger upon forbidden subjects. The desire to gain the favor of the Egyptians could not cause him to conceal his principles. He had attempted, had he attempted to do this, he would have been overcome by temptation. But he was not ashamed, friends, he was not ashamed of the religion of his fathers, and he made no effort to hide the fact that he was a worshiper of Jehovah. Now, we're all called to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And as hopefully, as you're reading your Bible daily, you come across things and counsel or uh, admonition or promises that prompt you or move you in a direction to either grow, to change, put something aside, or stop doing something you've been doing. And I remember in my early Christian journey, as I was reading through the Bible once again, I was in the book of Isaiah, chapter 33. And uh, then the next day, I knew I was going to come back that evening and start reading that chapter again. And I just read a few verses. But that evening, I sat down with some friends, and we watched an action-packed movie where there's lots of crime and violence and immorality, and just, it was terrible. But to me, it was, it was wonderful. I enjoyed that stuff, all right? I'm an early, I'm, a, I'm just a babe in Christ. I'm still learning and growing. I had no mentor. If you heard my story, you'd understand why I was still like this. You know, I studied the Bible by myself. I, God led me into the Adventist faith, and, but nobody had, took and, had taken me under their wing yet to give me some of this other counsel. So I want to encourage you, friends, when you're studying with somebody, you've got to keep seeing them through. You've got to mentor them all the way through. It would be a blessing for them, and it would be very encouraging as well. And so I finished watching this movie, and I went back to my room, and I opened my Bible up to Isaiah chapter 33. Please go there with me now, Isaiah chapter 33. And God's timing is always amazing to me. And I appreciate it, I don't know about you, I appreciate it when God rebukes me. It doesn't feel very good, but I appreciate it because I know this is a loving, caring father that's saying, Dennis, you're going down the wrong path, and I want you to understand it needs the change, and it needs the change now, or things aren't going to go well with you. And so I appreciate that when he does that. Isaiah chapter 33. I was reading, and I'm reading through the chapter. Verse 6 really stuck out, stuck out to me. It says, And wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times. Praise the Lord. I need wisdom, and I need knowledge. How about you, friends? And strength of salvation, the fear of the Lord is his treasure. I really like that verse. 
Then I continued to read, and I get to verse 14. And it says, The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has surprised the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? Well, that's a sobering question. But I'm so thankful that God doesn't just leave us to linger and wonder, who's it going to be? In the next verse, he tells us, he who walks righteously and speaks uprightly. And I'm thinking to myself, yes, Lord, that's true. And he that despises the gain of oppressions, that shakes his hands from holding of bribes. And this is the part that stuck me in the heart. That stops his ears from hearing of blood and shuts his eyes from seeing evil. I told you I just got done watching something I thought was wonderful. And God said, Dennis, if you're going to walk with me, if you're going to profess to be a Christian, if you're going to be a man of integrity, this needs to change in your life. And I'm thankful for the promise that he adds to it. For if we do this, friends, he says, he shall dwell on high, his place of defense shall be the munition of rocks, bread shall be given him, his water shall be sure, thy eyes shall see the king in his beauty, they should behold the land that is very far off. Amen? How many of you want to see Jesus when he comes? I know I do. How many of you want to eat from the tree of life? I know I do. How many of you want your children to be there? I know I do. I realize things had to change in what I was watching and listening to. There's a quote from a letter, 244-1907. For thousands of years, Satan has been experimenting upon the properties of the human mind, and he has learned to know it well. By his subtle workings in these last days, he's linking the human mind to his own. What's he doing? Linking the human mind to his own, imbuing it with his thoughts. And he is doing this work in so deceptive a manner that those who accept his guidance know not that they are being led by him at his will. The great deceiver so hopes so to confuse the minds of men and women that none but his voice is heard. I remember I wanted to plant a garden with my son. This before I met my wife. And there was a bunch of trees behind our house. They weren't very big. And we went out there, we started chopping down trees. And I came, as we were clearing up the brush, I came across this branch that had this vine wrapped around it. Now, how many of you have seen, uh, you go out in the yard or go out into the woods and you're walking through the woods and you see these vines that grow out of the ground and wrap themselves around trees. They come, some hang back down. You can swing on them if you want. Perhaps you've tried to pull them out of the trees. I have. They don't come out very easy. But this particular vine must have wrapped itself around the tree when the tree was very young. And as the tree grew, the vine grew with it. And as you can see, 
they became one. So much so that the vine had embedded itself into the tree itself, killing the tree, but the vine was alive and lived. You see, this is what Saint wants to do to you and I, to your children, to your grandchildren, to my child. He wants to weave his, his mind into their mind and our mind in such a subtle way that we don't even realize it. Until your spiritual life, the spiritual life of your children is crushed out and none but his attributes, nothing but his attributes are seen. We live in a very corrupt world, friends. We must make diligent effort to shut off every avenue in which the enemy is gaining ascendancy. Now, some of you may say, well, Dennis, that doesn't affect me. I can watch that stuff. It doesn't bother me a bit. Well, I'm going to challenge you a little bit here. How many of you have seen a little child watch a cartoon and then five minutes later start acting out just what they saw? Have you seen it before? Right. What happened? Wasn't doing it last week. You didn't teach your child to do that. Well, there's a biblical principle in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that says, by beholding you become changed. You cannot escape it. Now, let's take it to adult ears. How many of you, and let's be honest. Let's just be honest with yourself. How many of you watch something and you start using the catch, same catchphrase? Maybe the same body language. Maybe something that you've seen, you start acting and your conduct becomes similar to that. Has it happened to you? You don't have to raise your hand. But honest in heart, if you're watching something that promotes the attributes of Satan, I can assure you, you cannot stop it from manifesting itself to your mind. Why? Because you've given consent to him to feed you. The Bible says to us in 1 Corinthians 10, 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of devils. Friends, love rejoices not in, in iniquity. You read the love chapter. There is no rejoicing in sin if the love of God is dwelling in your heart. And so I would challenge you. What are you watching that promotes the attributes of Satan? What games may you be playing that promote violence or crime? What games might your children be playing? What may they be viewing on their phone or their tablet or the internet at home? It needs to change. If we're going to make it to the kingdom of heaven, Satan needs to be set aside in all that he promotes, and Christ needs to be sown in heart, his word and his attributes. One day at a time, we never know where the next day is going to take us. But you know, friends, unfortunately, in Christianity today, not many people are paying attention to this very thing here. And a lot of people are taking God's name in vain, even among Seventh-day Adventists. And sad to say, a lot of people are sacrificing their children 
to devils. You say, Dennis, we don't do that. That was the Old Testament. No, I beg to differ with you. As a parent, as a grandparent, if you allow your children to sit there and play violent video games, if you allow your children to view things that promote witchcraft and crime and immorality, you are sacrificing your children to the devil. You're giving them up to him. You have a responsibility as parents and grandparents to raise your children up to be men and women of integrity. Sights and sounds, the quote said, of vice were all about him. Music. I told you, my name's Dennis. So what type of music are you listening to? As I was, have been and on my journey with the Lord, early on, no sooner did he convict me of this, but he convicted me of the music I was listening to. And just because it has, quote, unquote, Christian lyrics does it, to it, doesn't make it holy or sacred or honorable to God. And I remember sitting down and somebody sharing a series with me about music and how it affects the mind. And I won't mention the, the author's name behind it because unfortunately he has backslidden and gone back into the world and is very heartbreaking. But there are two people outside of him that I went and I listened to their presentations. I'm listening to the one now, I haven't finished it. The first one was Christian Berdahl. Now he has a 13-part series, I really appreciated it. It gave me a nice window into music and how to discern even up to where we are today with contemporary Christian music. I was thankful for that. Scott Ritzma is another individual who put out a series called Media on the Brain. I'd encourage you, friends. If you want to know truth, if you want a complete, harmonized walk with God, then search it out. Just don't take it for granted what other people say is Christian music. Search it out for yourselves. You need to know. When I was out west studying for the ministry, I was walking by a building. Now, I knew it was a church because when I got around to the front of it, there was a sign explaining when their worship services were, and there was a cross on the church. But had I been blind, walking by that same building, the music that I heard inside I would not have known that was a church. I wouldn't have known. Now, I know rap, heavy metal, rock and roll, or had known because I was heavily involved in it all, and there's no way anybody can convince me that just because we put Christian lyrics to a rock and roll song, it becomes Christian. Unfortunately, I was speaking at a, at a place one time, and there was, I was there early for the Vespers, and they were singing a song, Praise the Lord, Hallelujah. Oh, yeah, praise the Lord, Hallelujah. 
but they were playing the music to an old Leonard Skinner song, Sweet Home Alabama. Now, unfortunately, it did not make that song Christian. I did speak to the lead singer and the drumist later on and sent them materials in hopes that things would change and how they were themselves living for Christ, but how they were also influencing others in the wrong direction. So music, how is it with you? If somebody was to approach your home, would they know, if they were blind, that you were listening to Christian music, or would it just be another form of club music to them? Come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean things, 2 Corinthians 6, 17. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 458, says this, God requires of his people now as great a distinction from the world in customs, habits, and principles as he required of Israel anciently. If they faithfully follow the teachings of his word, this distinction will exist. It cannot be otherwise. So if we're following the teachings of the word, if we're taking advantage of the gift of spirit of prophecy and we're applying these principles, customs, and so forth to our lives by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, there will be a clear distinction between yourself and somebody else that is not of the faith. Is that true? Yes? Absolutely. It cannot be otherwise, the quote says. The warnings given to the Hebrews against assimilating with the heathen were not more direct or explicit than they are those forbidding Christians to conform to the spirit and customs of the ungodly. Christ speaks to us. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 1 John 2.15 and James 4.4 4 would go on to tell us, the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Now we're to, of course, live in the world, but we're not to be of the world. As we stepped into that baptismal tank, we made a vow, we made a commitment that we were going to turn our back on the world and set our affections on things above. And that is the direction we continually need to go. Romans 6.16 would tell us to who you yield yourself a servant to obey, that's who you are a servant to. Now what you yield your mind to is what you will become. By beholding, we become change. Rather, it's in something we're playing, something we're watching, something we're listening to. The media promoting the attributes of Satan it's all around us. He's seeking to sow a seed. Will he find entrance into your heart or mine? It all depends on how we are going to, how we're going to heed the counsel given. In Psalms 101.3, it says, I have set no wicked thing before my eyes, David would declare. It says, I hate the work of them that turn aside. I sh it shall not cleave on to me. In the New King James Version, I like how it says, it says, I will put no worthless thing before my eyes. 
Now, I gotta constantly shelter myself and be careful what I put before my eyes because I know how the enemy is working. In reading Patriarchs and Prophets, page 36, keeping in mind that his name Lucifer, meaning light bearer, deceived one-third of the angels in heaven. One-third of the angels that were created perfect, had perfect discernment, lived in a perfect atmosphere in the presence of God. He deceived them. And then we can read in Genesis that he deceived our first parents, deceived Eve, Adam willfully chose, but he deceived Eve. Both created with the full faculty, using all the faculties of their brain, from the Creator's hand, perfect discernment in the presence of a God that loved and cared for them and yet deceived. Now here we are, friends, 6,000 years later. He's been experimenting upon the properties of the human mind. How much of our brain do we use? What's the percentage? Anybody know? 5%. 10% if you're a genius. Five, six percent. Some people may get a little higher, really, really smart people. But you know what? What chance do we stand, friend? What chance do we stand? In Patriarchs and Prophets, page 36, she says that his mind next to Christ was first among the host of heaven. So you have the mind of God, and then the next most intelligent mind in the universe at that time, and so probably as he has studied us out, way far above us, was Satan. That's who our enemy is. So if we don't heed the word of God, if we push it aside and we brush it off as it's no big deal and it's not going to affect me, we are setting ourselves up for failure. Philippians 4, 8 tells us whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, a good report, if there's any virtue, any excellence in this, anything praiseworthy, think on these things. That's the counsel. I remember recently talking to an individual who's been watching a series most of his life, and his wife was complaining about it a little bit, and he says, you know, it's no big deal, you know, I just, it's, there's, there's no immorality in it. And I, and I know the series, and I watched it when I was a kid. I stopped watching it long ago. And I said, well, is there violence in it? Yeah, there's a little bit of violence in it. I said, well, who's the author of violence? It's Satan. Right. Oh, he could barely get it out. I said, that's right. I said, so tell me, would you invite Jesus to sit there and watch that with you? With you? No. I said, well, who's sitting there with you while you're watching it? He got it. You see, if we're playing a game, we're watching a movie, or we're listening to something that is promoting the attributes of the enemy, we're giving them consent to enter in and take possession and have our mind. And he's very subtle about the way he does it. Little at a time. Purity. Another attribute of integrity. 
If we're feeding on immorality, we will not stand when physical temptation comes. Joseph come into a very straight place. Potiphar's wife would approach him, taunt him, and all of a sudden, with a sudden and very strong seductive temptation, she would seek to overwhelm him. Joseph knew well that what would be the consequences of resistance. On one hand were concealment, favor, and rewards. On the other, disgrace, imprisonment, and perhaps death. His whole future life depended upon the decision of the moment. Would principle triumph? Would Joseph still be true to God? With inexpressible anxiety, it says here, in Patriarchs and Prophets, angels looked upon the scene. Joseph's answer reveals the power of religious principle. He would not betray the confidence of his master on earth, and whatever the consequences, he would be true to his master in heaven. What does purity mean to you? When I was younger, unfortunately, things happened to me that robbed me of my innocence and purity scarred me for life. And it took many years for God, because things were so deep-rooted in me, it took years for God to come to the point and, and, and myself to perhaps, I don't know, allow Him to do it, but to heal my mind and cleanse me from things that had happened. You know, young people, you go out and you have a nice time with your friends and you, you get involved in something and you transgress the law of God and somebody, a girl gets pregnant, it changes your life forever. Married couples, you stray, you allow the enemy to absorb your time, you slack on the devotional life, and before you know it, temptation comes and the enemy in overcomes an individual and there's a, an adulterous situation that takes place. We have to be earnest in our relationship with God daily. Now, I'm sharing this stuff with you because I care. I want us all to make it. I want to make it. And I realized things had to change in my life, and they have to change for all of us if we're going to see Jesus. And they need to change for how we raise our children if our children are going to see Jesus. If other people are going to look at us and recognize us as people of the book, as Christians, true to principle and true to God, Perhaps our dress has to change. Our conduct has to change. You know, we're trying to win Muslims to the faith. They're very conservative, of course, in how their women dress. I'm not saying you, they, you have to dress like that. 
But if a Muslim man was to look upon your wife or your daughter and how she was dressed, or look upon you and how you're dressed as a woman, would he recognize that you're a Christian? Would he recognize modesty in your life? If God was to look down while you're at the beach getting ready to go for a swim, if he was to look down and he does look down, would he be able to tell who his children are? You know, there's a book out. It's been out for quite a long time. The author's passed. But I want to encourage you to pick it up and read it. It's not a very thick book. By Joe Cruz, founder of Amazing Facts, called Creeping Compromise. Creeping what? Compromise. I'd encourage you to pick it up and read it. God is faithful. As we bring these things to him that we realize that need the change in our life, he's faithful. He tells us in Isaiah 119, come, let us reason together, right? Let us talk about it. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. God is willing to cleanse, heal, and restore. Joseph was not ashamed and made no effort to hide the fact that he was a worshiper of Jehovah. Not ashamed. Integrity, friends, touches every facet of our life. When Joseph was in prison, he worked hard. He was diligent at everything he put his hand to. He was faithful in the little things. And when he worked in the palace, he would prove himself faithful there as well. Now, before I became, came into the pastoral ministry, I used to work for myself. And God convicted me many a times to be earnest in my work, diligent in everything I put my hand to, to do it to the best of my ability, and to be fair in every price that I gave for a job. Because I was representing him. I remember not long ago, I was talking to a young man who's also in the, in the construction business, and he was telling me that as he was pulling up to this house, he knew he was going to make good money on that job. And I said, how'd you know that? He said, because they're wealthy people. I said, so? Well, I, I, can, I can bid high on this. I said, well, is that right? Is that fair? Well, he didn't like me asking him that question. It's just because somebody has money doesn't mean you, 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 you bid above and beyond. It means you give them a fair price. You treat everybody the same way. Integrity touches every part of our life. My mother taught me to work hard, be on time, and do a good job. Colossians 3.23 tells us, Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not unto men. So, friends, reflecting on your life, have you taken God's name in vain? The things you, you partake of, the way you conduct yourself, maybe it's your business, maybe it's something, the way you dress, maybe it's how you talk, maybe it's something you're watching, something you're listening to, you're professing to be Christians. And, and beyond that, though, as Seventh-day Adventists, because he has given us a special message to a world that is dying are we taking his name in vain? 
In closing here, just a few more things I want to point out. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 544. God had placed his people in Canaan as a mighty breastwork to stay the tide of moral evil. To do what? Stay the tide of what? Moral evil. That it might not flood the world. If faithful to him, God intended that Israel should go on conquering and to conquer. But regardless of their high destiny, they chose the course of ease and self-indulgence. They let slip their opportunities for completing the conquest of the land, and for many generations they were afflicted by the remnant of these idolatrous peoples that were, as the prophet had foretold, pricks in their eyes and thorns in their sides. <clears throat> Friends, if we're not cleaning house, in the heart and in the home physically, the enemy will find a place there. You know, just because we came into the church doesn't mean we arrived. There's victories yet to be gained. We're to grow, remember, in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Constantly we are to be transformed into his likeness, his image. It doesn't happen overnight, but it is to happen. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 tells us my grace is sufficient for you and for me. He says, my, my strength is made perfect in your weakness and in mine. So whatever it may be, wherever you may find yourself coming up short, he is willing to provide the grace to overcome. Isn't that good news? He's not, his hand is not short that he cannot save. Recently, my wife and I, we planted a garden I'm going to tell you an amazing story. I planted a tomato seed and a carrot grew up. You don't believe me? I, I planted a corn, a piece of corn, and a tomato sprouted. And then I went over and I planted a squash and I got green beans. Why are you laughing? Because that's an impossibility, isn't it? What am I getting at? The fruit will appear depending on the seed that was sown. And as parents, if we think we're going to get one over on our children and our grandchildren by not sowing the word of God in our heart, but yet doing something different, the fruit is going to be seen. And as parents, if we allow our children to feast upon things that the enemy promotes, and I keep going back to this because he promotes a lot, then Christ will not be seen in the life. An encouraging promise and stern warning given in 1 Samuel 12, verse 20 and through 25, you can read all of it. This is when the people decided they wanted a king to reign over them. They did not want the God of Israel reigning over them. They wanted to choose their own way. And sometimes that's what we do, right? We choose our own way. 
and we say to the Lord, I don't want you to reign over me. And the way we conduct ourselves, the things we involve ourselves with, and so on. But it goes on to say here, uh, the prophet encourages them. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake. What do you say to that? What was that? That was pretty weak. What would you say? Amen. The Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake. Amen. Because it pleased the Lord to make you his people. Imagine that. The nation just committed a terrible sin and asking for a king, rejecting God to reign over them, and the prophet would come back and encourage them with this. So yes, something may need to change in our life. Something may need to change drastically in our lives. But know this, friends, it is pleasing to God to make you his people. He goes on to say, Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth and with all your heart, for consider how great things he has done for you. But, here's the warning, if you shall still do wickedly, you shall be consumed, both you and your king. I invite you to take your bulletin, the last quote I'd share today. I know I've shared a lot, but they're powerful, and they've helped me tremendously in my walk with God. This comes from Testimonies to Church, volume 5, page 537. The present activity of Satan working upon hearts, upon churches, and nations should startle every student of prophecy. working upon hearts, upon churches, and upon nations should startle every student of prophecy. The end is near. Now, I'm not an alarmist, but the facts are the facts. Yes, Jesus is coming soon. The prophecies are being fulfilled right before our eyes. Are we preparing our hearts to meet our King? The forgiveness, oh, God's on to say here, let the converting power of God be experienced in the hearts of the individual members, and then we shall see the deep movings of the Spirit of God. The forgiveness of sins is not the sole result of the death of Jesus. Praise the Lord. He made the infinite sacrifice not only that sin might be removed, be what? Removed but that human nature might be restored, rebeautified, reconstructed from its ruins and made fit for the presence of God. I'm so thankful that I serve a God that can do more than forgive me for my sins. He can not only forgive me, He can not only forgive you, but the burden of His heart is to transform us into his likeness, into his image, to restore us to, from where we have fallen, friends. So maybe it's time to clean house. I know spring has passed, but it's never too late. But truly, maybe it's time for us to kneel down and ask God to search our hearts.
how many of you are willing? And I can, I can assure you that when you say, Lord, search me and try me and show me if there's any evil way in me or if I'm involved in anything evil that you, would, that you do not take pleasure in, show me, Lord. He's going to show you. Every time I pray it, my wife can testify. Unfortunately, he shows me something. I'm still growing. I'm still learning. But I want to grow and learn. How about you? Remember the lepers in Luke 17? They were cleansed because they acted upon the word. They responded to the Holy Spirit's promptings. And they moved, and as they went, they went in faith, they were cleansed. How many of you are willing to pray the prayer? I'd invite you to stand. You pray the prayer earnestly because you want God to show you for the sake of your soul, for the sake of your children and your grandchildren. And I'm going to continue to pray it with you. I praise God for everybody standing and everybody watching online that stood, praise the Lord. And those that have not, I want to encourage you, God is not slack. He always has our best interest in mind. You know, he'll never ask us to give up anything that is for our well-being. Amen? Let us pray. Gracious, loving Father, thank you so much. Thank you for speaking to us today. You're such a caring God. Thank you, Lord, that you would not let us leave this house of worship or leave this service without knowing that you have spoken. Lord, your word, may it continue to ring in our hearing. May your spirit continue to deepen conviction. And as we call home and pray, show us, Father, what needs to be cleansed in our heart? What needs to be taken out to the trash heap or burned? What needs to change, Father, for the sake of our salvation that we may see your face, for the sake of our souls that we may see your face on that great and awesome day? Lord, show us. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.